Hi, this is Michael Azarad, Editor-in-Chief of the TalkHouse, and welcome to the TalkHouse Music Podcast. This episode of the TalkHouse Music Podcast features a conversation between celebrated singer-songwriter Matthew E. White and Delta Spirit lead singer Matt Vazquez. Both Matthew and Matt are very accomplished, very experienced songwriters, musicians, and producers. So even if they make fairly different kinds of music, and they'd never met before, we figured they'd have a lot to talk about. And they did. We put them together in a hotel room in Austin, Texas, complete with a commanding view of I-35. And they were very curious about each other and talked about lots of stuff. Their surprising influences, their working methods, and exactly what is the connection between Matthew E. White and Pharrell. Here's how it went down. I Wikipedia'd you, um, Big Matt. I also Wikipedia'd you. I figured that would happen. <laughs> so, I mean, we, yeah. I guess we can troll through our own Wikipedias. Yeah. <laughs> and how much that shit's like. I, I really appreciate yeah. the, uh, uh, how brief yours is. It's just, it's, it's nice. It's pure. Wow. It's like you, you play music. That is truth. You're from <laughs> Richmond, Virginia. Are you actually from Richmond, like in Richmond? I, yeah. Well, I grew up in Virginia Beach. Oh, BB. Yeah. Are you, are you familiar? Well, do you know Justin Timberlake? Uh, and uh, who else is from there? There's uh, that Justin producer. Justin Timberlake's not from there. Pharrell's no, from there. No, Pharrell's from there. I thought Justin Timberlake was from BB. No, he recorded a record there. Oh, okay. But uh, Timberland too, though, right? Timberland's from okay, there. Missy it. Elliott's from there. Yeah. Uh, uh, Blackstreet's from there. Teddy Riley's nice. from there. So um, I actually grew up with the, uh, there was a guy named Rob Olsh who owned a studio there and it ended up being sort of the go-to studio for all those people. And uh, I interned, by intern I mean I painted the walls yeah. when I was like in seventh grade. That studio interning. And, uh, but he ended up selling a studio to Pharrell, so. Oh, wow. Um, Did you end up working in it when he owned it? No, no. I, I uh, My dad, uh, no, I have no connection really to Pharrell except for that my father, uh, was a high school principal, and he was Pharrell's little brother's principal. That's cool. So it's kind of like small ta- yeah. smaller town smaller stuff. Smaller town. Yeah. Uh, did you start using, or do you, you produce, right, and engineer yeah, stuff? Yeah, so. I don't really engineer. I'm, I'm a sort of a engineer if I have to kind mm-hmm. of guy. When did you, uh, what format do you use? Like Pro um, Tools Logic? We're, I use Logic in, in uh, analog stuff. So we have a like an 8-track one inch tape machine, a really nice one at the studio. Otari? We do that. Um, it's one of the, those Mara machines. Chris Mara makes them. Mm. Oh. They're, like MCI. Yeah, the they're MCI like, updated MCI ones. MCI updated yeah. ones. So one of those, the studio, and then we dump into Logic, and we sort of have it so we can fly back and forth yeah, and, yeah. and do a lot of stuff like that. That's fun. So that's nice. Yeah. When did you start using uh, DAW and all that stuff? Um, Kind of by necessity. You know, I started, you know, I grew up just playing, and I, I've recorded on four tracks and stuff like that, and but I was always more about like being able to play my guitar better or whatever, mm-hmm. you know. And I yeah. went, to, I went to, actually went to music school and I sort of had a, I don't know, a, I don't know what to call it, sort of a light bulb kind of moment that was sort of like, well, if you're gonna make something, if you're gonna say something musically, sort of, in this generation, like it needs to be. Recorded. I mean, it, it yeah. has to. It, it sort of has it to. It doesn't exist. Yeah, it sort of. Yeah, exactly. It kind of doesn't exist if it's not, and and it sort of has to interface with that. So then I, I sort of bought some stuff and kind of started to get used to it, and mm-hmm. um, and then I made my own record, and that sort of 
has sort of tumbled and that was the inner big inner yeah yeah, yeah. it sounds really pretty by thank the you. way thank i like you. the oceany soulness yeah, thank of it. God, that's a good that's a good description yeah I like that. So where are you from originally? I am a Calatexan. I was okay. born in California and was really little. I moved here in Austin. And uh, there's like, so, what's this, the 35? Vagina. Yeah. So I grew up down that way, probably five miles, in a, and like a brand new subdivision that got built. And how much of your life was here? Until I was a freshman in high school, and my folks split up. My dad worked for Lockheed Martin out here, mm-hmm. and then they closed in the 90s, and then I moved to California because I did too much acid my freshman year in high school, <laughs> which is very much what 1998 looked like here right. in Austin, Texas, and still does. And you moved to Southern California? Uh, yeah, Dana Point, and uh, five people in a two-bedroom, but on the beach. Nice. And uh, my friend Kelly Winrich, who's in my band, uh, mm-hmm. his dad built a studio for the family, family oh, musicians, nice. and they had the first Pro Tools Digio One. That's great. So we would That's we killer. would work, senior year of high school, we would work on songs until we had to wake up to go to school the next day for my AP music theory class, which I didn't understand until like three years later. Right. Like what he was teaching me. One, three, four, five, six. That's cool. Yeah, this stuff's fun. Delay. <laughs> That's cool. And then how'd you get into making records? Like, what was only the path from... ever wanted to do this mm-hmm. since I was about seven years old. Right. My grandma's actually the sixth employee of Fender. Oh, and nice. so she sent all this, the grandson's guitars. Uh, oh, wow. So my brother got a GNL prototype guitar that really Leo cool. gave to her to give to him. And... Uh, yeah, so That's that was fantastic. just like Nirvana, and as soon as I learned Come As You Are from a neighbor guy, right. learned tablature. That's My brother funny. wanted to be Stevie Ray Vaughan here, and I wanted to be Kurt Cobain right. and Randy Rhodes. It's funny. Everyone learned. Everyone our age learned Come As You Are. Yeah. That's the it's first like the thing first on song. the guitar. That's it's a, great. It's such, a good, it's such a good song to learn because it's almost impossible to play it and sing it at the same time. Yeah. And if you can like, <laughs> if you can play and sing yeah. that song at the same time, you can, you're, you're good. Like, you can do anything. Because it's the da-da-da-da. Yeah, but the funny thing about that is that it's not Kurt playing that. It's the bass player yeah. playing it. That's what I, when I was younger, it was like, oh, Kurt sings and plays this, but he doesn't actually do yeah. that. Um, what kind of music did you grow up on? Uh, my mom's pretty heavy into Janis, Beatles, and Elvis. Okay. And uh, were your and, parents like hippie age or sort of? Yeah, like so. The my parents were born in '55. Right. Okay. Right around then, so right. that's kind of what we grew up on. Like my dad's favorite band was Pink Floyd, but he right. never never was really. Uh, outwardly interested in music other than he just thought Pink Floyd was the most efficiently engineered music right. kind of thing. Right. And my mom was really just about Janice's soul right. and told me at a young age, you know, Matt, if you're ever going to sing, you yeah. sing like this. And she's right. like, why? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was always <laughs> really fun and a very loud, amiable mother. Right. Yeah. What about you? Um, it's interesting. My parents are 10 years older. They were born in the 44 and... So I'm the youngest of three, and um, I grew up more on, like, my parents are much more like Elvis era than Beatles mm-hmm. era. They're yeah, not and there's re- a big split in the South yeah, about that, right? They're not, yeah, they're, and they're not really, like, 
hippies at all, you know? So it's yeah. like, they were like, they're like such classic, like sock hop, 50s, oh, so cool. like, and my dad Jerry has all Lee. these 45s. Yeah, it's like um, that kind of music. Uh, and not that I really necessarily grew up with that, but that's sort of like the background that they brought to the table. I grew up on a lot of like Chuck Berry, Beach Boys, kind of like what is now called like oldies format. Yeah, but like, era. Yeah, that kind of stuff. And yeah. then listened to that for pretty exclusively. I had pretty much no interest in kind of modern stuff until 10 came out. And then I nice. liked that. I love 10 so much. Oh, yeah. Um, My brother and, was just insane for 10. And that kind of broke the ice a little bit. And it was pretty, you know, I guess all that stuff happened when I was 11, you know, mm-hmm. 10, 11, and so 10, and Pro J Nirvana, Soundgarden, Sun Temple Pilots, Alice in Chains, all that stuff, like, yeah. was a big influence. But it's funny because I was, it's funny to think back on that because, you know, I was a, grew up in a middle class, very suburban, white mm-hmm. um, household, and, like, to think of kids, like, and all my friends listen to that, but to think of that demographic, like, just putting on bleach or something and like going nuts relating so it's like yeah like relating it. so heavily to it it's a pretty it's something you're completely unaware of at the time as being like why you're f- why you are so dark and depressed yeah and why yeah were you like that were yeah you, i was yeah. pretty insane as a I jump. wasn't i wasn't particularly like that um but i did relate to it in a i don't know I don't know why. You Maybe know? in a sense that music was like, well, it, it in itself is important. And yeah, amazing. yeah, yeah. It was a, that was such a that was such an important thing. We have this conversation a lot in the van, the van, about the greatest American rock and roll band. Oh, do you have an opinion on that? <laughs> it's a tough question. So here, no. the, here oh, it's it's tough because it's got to be an actual band. Yeah, it can't like Tom Petty. I mean, the Heartbreakers are probably it, it like the be best the Har- American band. It could band. be the Heartbreakers. But Tom, I'd take but, that as an answer. Yeah. I, mean, I wouldn't But say I, that's that not my answer either. <laughs> and it's like you could say the Eagles, too, in terms of all this. Like, it just depends where you're coming yeah. on it. I yeah, mean, yeah. It's and in- the Birds and the Beach Boys. But Beach yeah. Boys, it's not not everybody's bringing everything not, to not, the table. Not rocking too hard, either. Yeah. I feel, I feel like this like is Nirvana's the, 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 kinda, the, criteria you ba- the criteria we base it on is... Uh, musicianship, like musicality, mm-hmm. songwriting, r- like rockingness level. Oh yeah, and cultural relevance. So like, someone like the Velvet Underground mm-hmm. has like huge cultural re- relevance. Yeah, kind of. And anyway, so we sort of rate people like that, but it's a really tough question to answer because there's bands like, you know, you said a lot of them, the Beach Boys, the Birds. The underground comes up a lot. The Ramones, uh, Tom Petty, um, Sly and the Family Stone is an interesting oh, yeah. one that I totally. get that we talk about. You know, what is that? Does that count? Um, Why wouldn't it? War because Parliament. it's more like soul, like a yeah. soul music or R and B music, maybe. Yeah, but isn't I, I, rock? What is rock music though? Yeah. Too like well, yeah. like you I know it's rock a very... and roll, and it's like it's basically sped up gospel, and it's yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, you know, and I think well, there's a, there's an interesting you know. It's just an interesting discussion there um, about, especially about Sly. Sly is an interesting one because he does, like, I think if you put on a set at Woodstock and you listen to that, like, it's, it's rocking, like, 
Yeah. It's completely rocking. But a record like Fresh or something like that, it's like, that's not rocking. That, I mean, that's not really rocking yeah. music. Um, well, Santana would suck. It's like yeah. The best <laughs> yeah, thing it ever, Santana. But it's like, well, that's an interesting note. said that. Uh, but Nirvana is interesting because it, truthfully, Nirvana really rates on all those, mm-hmm. all those categories. It's incredibly important culturally. They're the biggest Rock. band and most important band in the world when music actually was important on its own. Yeah, it's Whereas it's, now, that ever since then, I feel so bad for a generation that like I can remember that time when music was so like your identity mm-hmm. and um, the freedom of it was just enough. Right. And um, it's hard to get that sense when you never were born into it like the right. earliest biggest thing that you knew was spice girls yeah and so anything cool is just never gonna be big yeah. but that i guess that doesn't really matter so long as it exists but yeah i, I would th- like that you know just yeah i think it you know music has a way of it it lives on its own it it mm-hmm. finds the places where it's alive and it stays there yeah. and um you know it it abandons the places that don't treat it right mm-hmm. and that that's just how it lives you know and, and it's interesting because I'm sure you get asked this kind of stuff a lot but about like where's the music industry going or how to Spotify or digital stuff or like you know there's money just leaving the industry you mm-hmm. know like it's just not as big as it yeah. was and there's not the support that there was 15 years ago yeah. even and um, I kind of feel like, well, how, how do you feel about that? How do you feel about the, I'm the, curious the, what you think the direction about it. of things? Um, my, well, I mean, it's it's always hard to stomach. Like, if you looked at copyright law and like where we would be at if we were ten years older yeah. and had done what we'd done, and yeah. you know, wouldn't have to do as much corporate stuff as we do to yeah. even pay the rent yeah. and not be poor and hungry and. Yeah. That would be a very real thing. Yeah. Or live with my parents. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's like the Spotify mold, though, um, there's certain things about it that seem a little scandalous mm-hmm. on the back side. But mm-hmm. the idea that it's like people would be willing to do a subscription service is great. Yeah. And then it's finding the other subscription service after that one takes over. That's yeah. like Whole Foods, like it's like yeah. co-op where yeah. the artist actually gets the yeah. fair rate that yeah. other artists up until since it's been recorded, you know, like yeah. to just have that right uh, mechanical royalty yeah. to where we can survive. And in people, yeah. I feel like people want to be patrons, you know, people buy yeah. T-shirts, people still buy CDs and then they burn them. If yeah. they, they can't even put it on a computer, they just buy the CD because they feel bad for yeah. the band now. <laughs> yeah. So... But what do you? What's your take on it? Well, what's your futurist? I, I guess my 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 first big picture take is that is that we are not owed a music industry. Mm-hmm. Like that is not something. There's plenty of places in the world where that doesn't exist. Where you play your instrument because you love to play and you play it as much as you can, and people pay when they can, or you know whatever the case may be. But we're not owed that. So if things work, if things go to the, I think it's just important to to note to remember that that, yeah. that as musicians, the get to yeah factor we, yeah we we just aren't owed, uh, you know job jobs jobs change and 
the the market changes and there aren't as many professional clarinet players now as there were 50 years ago. Yeah. That's just the truth. And mm-hmm. there aren't as many blacksmiths now as there were 100 years ago. And so you can't, you have to be, I think, self-aware about that and, and that the scope of the professional nature of what you do can change over the course of time. Yeah. And, and so you kind of know, I think I just sort of say that to myself, that that, that is the case. Yeah. Um, but it, that's not why I play music. You know, I play music because I have to, because <laughs> mm-hmm. I couldn't not play music. Yep. And that's just, so I will be doing, whether my music has an audience or whether it's interfacing with sales and selling and money transactions of any kind, like, that's great. But if that wasn't happening, I would be playing anyway, and I mm-hmm. would be making records anyway. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think for me, it's sort of about saying that kind of to myself first. Um, with that said, I think, you know, I think you, you said it well. I mean, there's nothing inherently wrong with a subscription service. No. And, and that's also important to know. And it is a complicated thing because when you buy a record, you pay, if you pay $10 for a record, um, you have it for the rest of your life. So you can listen. If you listen to that record, let's say just for numbers, you split it. You're splitting things 50-50 with a record label or yeah. something. So you buy it for $10. You know, you, you, uh, $5 goes to the record label and $5 goes to the artist. If you listen to that record, you know, as soon as you listen to that record 100 times, like you've paid whatever you've paid, 50 cents for a song. Mm-hmm. As soon as you listen to it 1,000 times, you've paid 5 cents for a song. As soon as you listen to it, you know, whatever the math is, it, it, it starts going down and... and like as many times as your dad has listened to his record of Dark Side of the Moon or whatever. Oh, it's like half, how much of pennies. Yeah, like how much money has he actually paid for that song? And how much have I enjoyed it too? It's yeah, like you own exactly. a CD and it just like you inherit vinyl too. I mean yeah, like that exactly. like how many times you've Exactly. Those and records. so it is complicated because a Spotify play isn't the same as an iTunes purchase. It's worth much, 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 oh, yeah. much less than that. It's just figuring out what the math is, and I think I think that'll work itself out. My, my my feeling is that will work itself out. I don't I don't think that it's correct now. Yeah. Um. But I I do think things like that industries have a way of sort of balancing themselves mm-hmm. because, uh. You know I I don't prefer to be particularly negative about it. Although I don't think that we're at the end yeah. point. I feel and, really hopeful about all that. I and, think I think it is going to head that way. I mean, it's inevitable that people um, are not going to buy physical CDs yeah. unless it's vinyl, unless it's an extremely high fidelity audiophile thing. Do, do you do you um? How do you listen to music? How do I listen yeah. to music? I have Spotify, and yeah. I use it to death, and I yeah. love it. I think there's I think their uh, their broadband streaming is better than. I'd rather listen to a song on iTunes than, or I mean, on Spotify than iTunes mm-hmm. or SoundCloud, just because the way the SoundCloud way it gets a little funny. It seems yeah, like, like it degrades itself in MP3, yeah. and you're already running in MP3, even if you're right. running at the highest on Apple. You're yeah. you're always running through an amp into an amp off your yeah. phone, you know. And I think the Spotify amp, um, it's little whatever EQ right. everything. It really uh, is a little bit more deep, 
Do you... And I download all, all the songs. So, right, yeah, like everything offline. I love. So I'm offline yeah. and I just go back and I really am able to discover records that I wouldn't normally yeah. do, world music and having the record store. And I pay for it. Like a lot of us can get it for free and then you have right. to hassle somebody as a musician to get another six month yeah. license. I'd happily yeah. pay this. Right. And I wish yeah. everybody would so that it would yeah. come down, you know. Yeah. Um, um, are you in the middle of an album cycle? Which uh, yeah. I am actually. Um, uh, Delta Spirits Into the Wide is out. We're going on tour um, right after this weekend for a spring oh, thing. Great. And then we're actually going to do a, kind of a last waltz style tour where uh, we're going to drive around in a bus and our friends that sing in bands are going to hop on stage oh, nice. and join the band for the evening. Great. Yeah. And cover their songs and cover covers. Nice. Yeah. And what, um, what, what's that record like? It's like. Where would you say it's coming from musically for someone who hasn't listened to it at all? I don't know. Which I apologize for. No, no, no. It's fine. I mean, it's like, uh, I think you would relate to this, listening to your stuff, but it's like you write a song for the song's sake, mm -hmm. and you believe in the song, mm -hmm. in the lyrics, or whatever you're talking about in it, and the way that you sing it. And however that comes to fruition yeah. is what it is. It right. doesn't need... like. Um, it doesn't need any more explanation than that. Right. You know, it's a rock and roll band, I guess. Right. It's uh, indie because we're in the 20th century and it's yeah. post 1997. Um, but other than that, it's just mm -hmm. five friends with the goal of no shtick right. music mm -hmm. for you to like the songs. I like that. Yeah. I like that. And I feel like you're coming from a very similar place if that's okay for me to yeah yeah well that, the no shtick thing i like that i, I really try to be you know clear with my intentions yeah and honest just to, to make sure the music is what is coming first you just you want know? to be yourself it's interesting how music sort of I, i'll talk about the so the first thing off my record is called rock and roll is cold which is like this tongue-in-cheek song sounds but, great but i um thank you but i get asked about obviously at this point now I just get asked about it constantly about yeah. what do I mean and stuff like that but um, I think it's interesting I've been thinking a lot about how rock and roll as part of its history has always really interacted with culture and fashion I don't mean just strictly clothing I just mean style and, and cultural fashion as part of what it is you know um it's always been really important, and there's there's part of me that really likes that, um, and I think it's been important to the music at times. There's also times where it's been, I think, a real hindrance to the music, mm -hmm. where it becomes sort of the cart in front of the horse, you know, where yeah. it's more about, and uh, you think so, you, you sort of see that in since the '50s, really. You sort of see there's been times where it's like, oh. The music hasn't been in... We're going to wear matching suits, and yeah, that's the matching yeah. suit vocal band. And I will say, though, I am wearing matching suits on stage. That is totally classic, <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with it. Um, I want matching suits. So it's, good, it's a good look. But it's the whole... Th the, yeah, I mean, that's yeah. fun to, like, point at, like, poke at Americana but, yeah, and do that. And that's there's nothing gross about being classic, as much as it is trying to, like, be like, we're relevant. We're a relevant artist. Yeah. Because I have this specific brand on or i have this yeah. type of cut right, shirt right 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 and i have this step haircut yeah and that all of a sudden makes what i do 
a yeah, better that makes my song better it's inter yeah it's interesting it, it's like uh it's not something i really it's just i guess it's something i'm aware of more than i fight you know it's, mm -hmm. it's just as someone who's not I've, I've released music for so long not in relation to an industry you mm -hmm. know it's like i just put out records and no one gave a shit you know and it was like that was great i didn't really i don't really have um what I do now in terms of writing songs and recording records and touring on them and having an international audience and coming down to South by and doing things like that. That was never really like, it's been a, a little bit of a surprise, you know, to sort of get into this um, situation. And yeah. And I don't know. I, and you're an LPT now, right? Yeah. Great. Yeah. And, but it's been really, uh, I guess just seeing how much the music, the music and the in the culture like interact, and and now it's a lot, especially being at South by, you know, you see yeah. it's like industry music and like the actual music, the actual notes that you play and what you record, and and how that relates to you know business decisions and industry type decisions, and but also relates to the culture of the time that we're in. You know, we can't we can't not be in which is fine. It's just something that, you know, we don't think about that. In like, you know, when I listen to like Motown records or something like that, it's like, I, I just, you know, it's like, I love that record. Yeah, I just love that song. Yeah, I just love that song. And you forget, you forget that that, that music had the same sort of different elements, but, but still had the same pressure on it and the same, it was in the, yeah. in the cultural cauldron of, of the time. I really think this time is like an exciting time because it's like, it's kind of like Elvis is at war and the Beatles haven't shown up yet. Yeah. And it's a lot of like producer songwriter machine based yeah. stuff where it's like, you, I can make you like on the on the huge scale, yeah. like on the very top pop market. Yeah. There's like, I'm gonna make you a star. I have this amazing songwriting team and we're gonna we're gonna invest in you like right. you know and make someone like Bruno Mars who is. Yeah extremely talented and deserving of mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. the hugest pop yeah. star in the world and then you have uh, but somehow we get to be still the subversive it is, it is, do what yeah. you want music yeah. and how it's all going yeah. on at the same time is like well you know something i think is really interesting is is so i'm, I'm there's a sort of a time period sort of post sergeant peppers really where far out music was really championed by yeah. by like late big labels and uh sergeant peppers did so well and was such a big like a massive cultural earthquake 
that all of a sudden, you know, you get like the chess cadet imprint or you get, um, electric mud, like that, those kind of records or, or like the Motown West records or like Dr. John, like the first Dr. John records in Babylon and just a whole like explosion of these kind of super courageous, imaginative, uh, but also well-funded records. And like, that didn't happen for that long. It happened for about four or five years. And then people were like, oh, let's pull back on that let's, you know Dylan went country let's everybody yeah. do that now <laughs> yeah and but what what I think is interesting now is there's been there's this labels that started in the 90s like as the, the first wave of true independent of true independent labels are now 25 years old and they have the the line between major labels and large independent labels is very blurred it from an outsider, you know, like sure. the budgets and stuff are, are, are along the same lines and and the office size and stuff like that. Yeah. Like they're similar organisms. But there is, I've, I have found, seems to be a very fundamental difference in how uh, those independent labels were founded on very pure and uh, accurate and, and honest principles really and like going back to nirvana like that time yeah, period you know yeah like, i mean it's real did it's real it, it's very real and and but we're at the point now where those labels have bigger budgets and they're they have the ability to facilitate their artists um making exciting music and, and funding it in a way that's that is very encouraging uh, and supportive, but they don't have the same kind of oversight as a major label would, you know. And, and to me, there is this really interesting time where all of a sudden, there's independent labels have grown to the point where they can fund exciting things, but they are still giving sort of the green light and thumbs up to, hey man, you do what you want to do, yeah, and like really go for it. Um, and there are there is a little bit of a parallel there. Between what happened in the late '60s, early '70s, and and especially with now the 360 deal, which is yeah. a very '70s, yeah, right, uh, idea, right, which I think is a terrible idea yeah. that you would give up your your yeah. cloth, your touring, yeah, and your yeah. and your merch or um and your publishing, the idea of giving your songs away uh, like that and basically handing someone your career and trusting them, and then yep. you don't know you don't even know your pr person you know your a and r person their job security isn't like i i started when i was 19 Mm -hmm. and signed to uh dreamworks which within a week turned into interscope because it died so i met the president and then she was fired or left and then uh i spent ninety thousand dollars of or ninety five thousand dollars of interscope's money and for six months and up until like a week leading up to the Mm -hmm. stop and then they said sorry man can't sign you and then put my drummer on the street, and he ended up okay. He's in One Republic now, but <laughs> super weird. But he worked at Home wow, Depot, shit. and then we did that, and then Man, he was totally was, screwed. And then he's in One Republic. Wish we had started talking about that earlier. That's a story right yeah, there. But Damn. that, but those kind of things where it's like, and then you get along and you build all this thing, and then maybe you can get a more mm-hmm. fair shake deal wise right, with a, yeah. a larger. A company like that, but then, but then it's like you end up giving up six records in your career, and what yeah. if your A and R guy goes away? Yeah. Like, how much bargaining chip do you have as a small band? Even, 
if you're buzzing really hard. Right. Like how much bargaining chip? You could take the money right then, but if you do that, where like your create your creativity to be able to kind of traverse what may happen in your band right. and wherever your creativity takes you, it's very hard to ride that line. Yeah. And you just kind of I think you know some people can do it really well because they have an understanding of what they want and that's very right. clear with everybody. Um, are yeah. you are you um how many what's your label situation right now? Well, we were on Rounder, and now we're on Dual Tone for record. And they give us a really great, it's a one-off, 50-50 split, just the dumbest, simplest, fairest thing. Right. And, uh, you know, just based off of what we've already done, mm-hmm. they go, okay, this makes sense, you're worth about this. Is this yeah. okay? It's like, yeah, that's great. You know, if we, make, if we recoup, we make half. If we don't, that was a bad move. Oops, you know, somebody yeah. fucked up. But, um... You know, and you get to choose your team and have your own PR yep. and like be able to like create your own team and know that you can like pick up the phone and actually call that person. And if they're not doing a good job, that you can fire them and hire yeah. them and have a say with what money's being yeah. spent on your behalf. Yeah, yeah. And it, with your band, how does it? Is it a is it a band in the sense of it is equally collaborative, or? I would say it's uh, it's definitely extremely collaborative. Where um, say. I wrote about 45 songs for the album. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kelly and my band wrote about three, but he's he's just like edits himself right. a lot. He's got a lot more songs than that. And then um, that gets put in a room and just gets put in the furnace. Like everybody just burns it all into each other. And right. uh, we, that's what the voice is, is the conversation. Like right. it has to be a band. Right. That's what Delta Spirit is. Right, right, right. I know. I see. you're making a solo record uh yeah is that something we can talk about in this yeah i made uh uh after i've made a bunch of solo records actually Uh that no one has heard except for my friends and i've I've made them kind of as a tantrum from just that experience the delta spirit experience where it's like you write these songs and you have this vision and you know you can complete them and uh i truly believe that the art of delta spirit is that very thing and i believe in it and i love it um, but also, I, I love recording music and playing music, and I have a side of me that's a little bit more raw and crazier, and I also have a side of me that's a lot quieter, and I want to be able to facilitate those things. Right. So a month after we recorded our record in February, I started working on a new record, and uh, I've actually kind of recorded two records already. Oh, nice. So I'll figure out what to do with those next year, but... That's cool. Um, I really want to tour and just be in small clubs and do a three-piece and be really simple and really intimate and focused and just about the music music and not right. trying to like break through glass ceilings with your career or change anything, but just like be back, like do the things that I love. Right. You know? That's very cool. That's what our band's doing too this summer, which is so exciting together. Right. And it's just, it's like a coming home of like, it's you know there's the music business but we want to do the music music for a little bit that's nice what about you um you're 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 kind of a solo artist so you get to yeah, do what you well, want well, ruling it's, the it's, roost it's interesting um you know my solo artist thing so it kind of came about in a very backwards way i 
I was sort of an arranger. I start like I said, I was sort of an arranger, like a I had a uh, sort of an avant garde jazz sort of psychedelic thing in the Wikipedia article. Mm-hmm, I did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I did that and and uh but and that was kind of like I guess sort of this uh, coming out of jazz school, it was this just explosion of like ideas, you yeah. know, and just get writing things down all the time. And we were playing all the time. Um, By but, avant-garde jazz, would you you define that like Ornette Coleman? Yeah, like sort of. Yeah, like Skies or, Over America yeah. or uh, Shape of Jazz to Come. Uh, more like Shape of Jazz to Come, probably, okay. but but a little bit more composed than that. Have you heard like a, a Liberation Music Orchestra? Do you no. know those records? That's that's sort of the thing I. The, it's a Charlie Hay- Hayden record with all Carla Blay arrangements. It's I'm just look it up so, 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 so good. But um, anyway, so I, I had done that, but but what was really unique about that wasn't so much the music, I think, but more the personnel that, that was in Richmond. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the band was really good, but there's just, in Richmond, there's so many musicians. There's a great music school there, and there's just a lot of horn players, a lot of, a lot of talent in that regard in terms yeah. of being able to play something written or whatever and um i began to kind of put this idea together for a record label that was based off of like house band models like motown or stacks or that kind of thing and um i wanted to really facilitate opportunities for me to arrange and produce and bring in other artists and and do that kind of like vertically integrated like let's do it all here let's write the arrangements let's produce it let's engineer it let's let's do it in a week let's do three days of rhythm section, one day of strings, one day of horns, one day of background vocals, a day of whatever else, yeah. and call it, you know, and, and just see if we could do that because I, I felt so encouraged by the... Muscle by just stop. the Yeah, no, I, I actually haven't watched that <laughs> oh, because... Oh, so good. I haven't watched that because I, I dug so heavy into that. I've read so much about it and, like... I just am scared. Oh no! I'm it's, scared it's of it. It's so good. It's just just imagining. Because I've like uh, a friend of mine, Adam Landry. His studio is like there's one sound in yep. his studio, and that sound is awesome. Mm-hmm. It doesn't do anything other than that thing. Right. Um. But that thing is right, yeah. and that's like Muscle Shoals, and yeah. it's like that band. Yeah. It's like yeah. you anybody walking in with a band that funky, yeah. that like just. Mm, yeah, and um, it's just funny that it's just a bunch of teenage white kids. Yeah, yeah, just crushing yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's a really amazing thing to strive for. Yeah, and so we had this really great. So we had that in place, and sort of. So we started this label with the idea that we would do that, and um, it was kind of it's a it's a lot of trust. It requires a lot of trust to ask an artist to come in for that. Yeah. You know, to hey, come in, you share your songs with us. We're gonna be the rhythm section and we're going to write string arrangements and horn arrangements and background singer arrangements and we're going to produce this and it's very heavy-handed it's a very heavy-handed collaboration and um i mean that in the they're soft hands but they are extensive you know and yeah. like what we're doing with with the music so um i felt like and obviously I, i'd kind of started it because i did have a lot of production ideas and i i wanted to see it through so i made beginner really I hadn't written songs before, and I, and I, so I basically was like, okay, well, we're not really going to be able to get anybody else to come do this, you know, and then put their name on the record and like yeah. release it. And so I was like, well, I'll do it. Um, 
I, I feel like I have something to say. And, and um, so I wrote some songs and um, even at that point I wasn't really singing, you know, and it was like, okay, well, I got to figure out sort of the singing voice, like how I'm going to do this. And, um, but we did it, we recorded it in a week and, and uh, it just came out so fresh sounding, you know, mm -hmm. I think to, to my ears at least. And, and then it, it really took on a life of its own, you know, where, um, Domino picked it up and ended up releasing it, and it did really well overseas and 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 fairly well here too. But although I was still kind of in charge, it was a weird thing because I was in charge of the release. It was my record, and it was just it was a, a lot at once, like to to have happen. And um, and then this time around, um, uh, going back into the studio it was it was more about like going to that process again. You know, I, I I think as a recording artist, like it can be really easy just to like change the variables and this isn't a bad thing i think of, of, of like beck always yeah sometimes like having like locking yourself thing. out of stuff yeah it's the best way to open up a lot of different things like um bo coster had that uh in my morning jacket they like committed mm -hmm. to like there's going to be no b3 yeah on z yeah that's just not going to exist and it's like those sounds you know yeah. that you get all this other other thing yeah. you stretch you reach you yeah. find it and so for me, like, I don't, I, I wanted to just go, go back to the same process, go back to the same people, like the people I'd started the label with, because it's, you know, it's a band, it's a bass player and a drummer and myself and another guy who writes arrangements and, and we split sort of arranging duties and, and uh, go back to that and, and just dig deeper and see how, get more, you know, the, one, the great thing about having consistent musical relationships is it's not just that. Like Cameron, the bass player, is a good example. Like he's a bad, he's bad as shit. But it's not just that he can play amazing stuff. It's the that at this point, me and him have been communicating for ten yeah. years. Yeah. And so when I say something, he knows what I mean, and I can get from A to Z with him quickly and, mm -hmm. e and efficiently, yeah. and 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 it can go to a really special place. Whereas if another producer just asked Cameron to come into the studio, it would be great, and Cameron would knock it out of the park. But he doesn't have; they don't have the same vocabulary. Yeah, it's not a kinetic energy yeah, that and, you can do. And so yeah. for me, it's it's even though I, I am a solo artist and I'm I'm sort of I believe in putting my name on the records and and they are my my music. But it's I look at a record like What's Going On by Marvin Gaye and and that sort of to me is sort of a landmark record and in the in the sense that it is a hundred percent. Marvin Gaye. It is so original. It is so personal. It's so. Um, uh, it is so him. You know, it's, it's yeah. it is a Marvin Gaye record. But at the same time, the production on that and the string arrangements on that and the the engineering, like and even the songwriting, actually is very team team oriented and very collaborative. And and to me, those are the most exciting records. So I'm sort of in a position where I'm trying to. I sort of facilitate and oversee a team working in a way that helps me facilitate yeah. kind of the, the things in my imagination, you know? Yeah. It's a really exciting it's and, so good to and have rewarding, rewarding experience and, and like a very cool, I just am, am really fortunate to have, you know, and being in a band, you know this, you know this too, but it's like you, you're only going to get so many of those relationships in your life. Yeah. There are only so many times you're going to sit with a drummer 
for 10 years and get into each other's musical world. That yeah. Because or it, be high school friends yeah, exactly. and play off each other's yeah. songwriting. And yeah. like, I've stolen so many songs from Kelly. He starts yeah. and he's like, oh, I like that. He's like, this thing I'm working on is going to be pretty cool. I was like, oh, that's great. I'll come around. I'll finish the lyrics, yeah. write a bridge, and I'll fuck him. I'll yeah. just basically be like, ah, I stole your song. Yeah. <laughs> and great. he's like, oh, cool. Great. <laughs> he's stoked about it. Like, there's yeah. no, like, yeah. to not have that ego yeah. and to have this, like, constant yeah. upping and going at yeah. it. It's good. I that Jack Nietzsche, Phil Spector. Yeah, thing. yeah, yeah. I have a songwriting partner that we've been writing since we were 16, you know. And he's and the like, guy that arranges? No, no, no. He's just a... Uh, kind of another guy that we songwrite together the, those the 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 band the space bomb band um we don't do any i don't really songwrite with them too okay. much um just kind of do that's interesting so you just have this range. other friend that you write yeah. songs with yeah and wow. we've, we've been writing together for since we were 16 and so but fun. he's he's friends i mean he's part of yeah he yeah, knows yeah, everybody yeah, yeah. we're if all part of the click it's, part it's of the same, what it is. same family but but we i write songs with andy and and we, I, then I bring that to the team and we kind of, I generally sort of lay out, you know, this is, it's this kind of thing or this is a reference point his or whatever. His name is, is what, the, your friend? Andy Jenkins. Andy is Jenkins. Is songwriting partner. Does he have his own records too? No, he doesn't. Why not? He doesn't. Uh, I'm hoping to change that. I mean, I, I really want him to record. Um, we did, we, we had a band together that made records, but not, not. Is it like a secret, don't tell the name of the band? No, it's the Great White Jenkins was the name Great of White it. Great White Jenkins. Yeah, because it was the Matthew White, Andy Jenkins that we got that name in. Uh, it's hot. In algebra class in 10th nice. grade. X um, plus Y equals yeah. Great White Jenkins. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. So uh, hopefully Andy will, um, He he's a really beautiful songwriter. I mean, it's, I, I probably need him more than he needs me in terms of songwriting. But uh, it's it's a really good relationship. And with this last record, just came out at, we really kind of dug into each other and like it's what what's really cool about him in particular is that this record is so personal for me but was but having a songwriter who was is one of your best friends mm-hmm. and who has been around you since you were 16 yeah. like you can write personal stuff and you can talk about these songs as songs as as works of art that are separate from your personal life, you know, just as sort of a craft. Yeah. But you can also connect them to like, hey, this is what I'm writing about, and or this is what we're writing about, and he knows how I feel about things yeah. or where I was at a certain time emotionally. And, and you're writing about this thing, and that maybe you don't realize that you're writing about, but he's, yeah. but he's yeah. picking up on it and trying to pull that side out yeah. of it, or, or you yeah. know, looking at it from a Freudian, yeah, like crazy way. And so that's a that's been a very cool thing where I I, I don't. I guess that's sort of the stereotypical like downside of, of writing co-writes or whatever is you yeah. sort of lose a little bit of the the cold call jam. Yeah, thing. yeah. But but for me, it's been kind of a best of both worlds situation where I feel like I'm able to be as personal as I can possibly be. Yeah, and and almost aggressively intimate in that way, and have Andy understand all of that. And, yeah, and and know know all kinds of far out shit about my life that that we're able to turn into a song because yeah. we've known each other for 17 years at this point. Yeah. It's a, it's so. such a weird thing to just cold call a co-write. Have you, do you do that? I have done that when I was like 19 and we're actually discussing doing it now as a band mm-hmm. just as an exercise kind of kinda... thing. I've been doing like sync license and sound right. design stuff to right. kind of help pay the bills and 
Um, I love the challenge of that. And right. um, I've had some real stinkers. Um, oh, yeah. I won't say who, but they've written some hit songs. And it was bad, man. It was real bad. But then I met this guy, how, Ron how, in Yellow. Uh-huh. He produced the, the Bruce Springsteen Wrecking Ball uh-huh. record. And that guy was like one of the most underrated people I met. It was like an afterthought to like put me with him. Right. And he taught me so many tricks about songwriting when I was really young. And he's also like, oh, do you like Tom Waits? And I was like, oh, I love Closing Time. He's like, no. <laughs> and he's like... Black Rider, Mule Variations, Rain Dogs, like just all these. Like, you like Dylan? Are you kidding me? You don't know another side of Bob Dylan? Like, here, to Ramona, learn every lyric. You know, like, you don't know what the, like, you don't know what the three is? Like, major seven trick to the, what is it? The minor. And then, (laughs) oh, it's like those little things where it's like, find the bridge, know the tag. It's got to be good. Cut, you know, and. All those things you just don't get. Like just the tools. Yeah, yeah. You know, like all of those tools taught me so much. That's very interesting. Yeah. But uh, I'd like to do, I'd actually like to do more of it. I sort of am attracted to that. Like the, I don't know, the coldness of it or whatever. It's like pure craft, you know? It's like no emotional baggage or whatever it's yeah, just i don't like, know how to do that like set. i can put, i think i can do chords in a melody and then i'll mm-hmm. figure out lyrics later i don't know how it's gonna go but i'm interested in giving it a yeah. get, giving it a fun go I'm, I'm such a different person i'm that's like three lifetimes ago and right. a lot of alcohol that i drank and then now i drink less so i'm like right i'm two persons ago that you did. I was a wide-eyed young person when I started doing that stuff. That's interesting. Or like co Right. Yeah. So. I'm a crotchety old <laughs> songwriter. Travel around. That's fun. Yeah. Well, I feel like I know you now. Yeah. Matthew nice. B. White. Yeah, man. We're about good for time. Great. Sweet. That was fantastic. Yeah. Man. It's really nice. The radiance of an orange tree You and me in the middle of a field The fragrance of an orange blossom You and me in the middle of a field And those guys kept talking animatedly as they walked out of the room and all the way down in the elevator. We hope Matt and Matthew stay in touch. This is Michael Azarad, editor-in-chief of the TalkHouse, and that's it for this episode of the TalkHouse Music Podcast. Thanks to our producer-engineer, Elia Einhorn. For more TalkHouse Music Podcasts and for lots of great writing about music by some excellent musicians, by all means visit thetalkhouse.com music.